All right, all right, all right. It is so good to be back to be back into Bible study. And like I said, we'll just give you a little teaser, a little taste this morning um, as we'll uh, continue with our fall kickoff festivities momentarily. And I think the weather's going to hold, y'all. I think it's going to be perfect, actually. Not too sunny, not too hot. So uh, God has smiled on us once again. All right, so we are going to be getting into the book of Hebrews. And this, even though it's in the New Testament, it's one of those New Testament books that can be kind of intimidating. It has um, some language and a lot of Old Testament background that can be just kind of daunting. Like, okay, it feels like there's a higher bar to get over in order to, to study it. So I wanted to um, just give you some brief reasons why it's worthwhile for us to study Hebrews. All right? First of all, last year, we had a great old time studying Leviticus. And if you missed it, boy, I, you know, we had a rollicking good time. We talked about a lot of blood and guts and slaughter. And don't worry, all the recordings are on the World Wide Web. So you can go back and check that out if you missed it. But whether or not you did, Hebrews is the perfect complement for Leviticus. Uh, we went to Hebrews a lot in our study of Leviticus. And in many ways, you can't fully grasp or appreciate uh, Hebrews without that kind of background in Leviticus. Now, we'll go back to it again and again um, throughout our study, but this was kind of my long-range picture when um, we delved into Leviticus last year, as I thought, I want to do that, and then the next year, do Hebrews. So I'm really excited to be delving into this and bringing that out. Um, Becky, to put you on the spot, you used, a, you used a great analogy to describe Leviticus and Hebrews. You mind sharing that with, with the group? The touchdown dance. It's been one, he's done, the smack talk does nothing. <laughs> Satan smack talk. We're allowed to smack talk still. Okay. Um, yeah, I love that. So the Leviticus is kind of the, the rule book. Now in Hebrews, the victory has been won. Jesus has done it for us, and we get to do the, the touchdown dance. So that's exciting. Secondly, why study Hebrews? Uniquely in the New Testament, Hebrews is actually in the form of a homily. It's, in a, it's a sermon. Okay, so what we call the epistles are all letters, and they may have been functioned in some ways like a sermon. They would have been read publicly. But um, there are, there's good evidence within Hebrews itself to show that it was actually it was a sermon as it was originally composed. Um, more specifically, it was what was called a word of exhortation. So Hebrews 13, 22, I appeal to you, brothers, this is at the very end, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. He says this right at the end of 13 chapters. Bear with me now. You've got to say that at the beginning of a sermon. Just that's, I mean, if I was talking to my friend here. Um, Thomas Long, in his commentary, he says, Hebrews appears to be an example of a sermon that is rabbinical in design, Christian in content, and heroic in length. <laughs> uh, but it's cool, and it's something that I nerd out on because of uh, my interest in rhetoric. And so I'll draw attention as it's uh, fitting and interesting as we go along the way, how that fits into the overall book of Hebrews. Thirdly, a reason to study Hebrews that I think is just kind of interesting, fascinating, is that alone in the New Testament, the author of this homily, the book of Hebrews, remains a mystery. Okay, we know who wrote all the other books of the New Testament, but still to this day, we don't know who wrote Okay. <laughs> We don't know. You shouldn't be leaving, Ben. That's what happens. Uh, that's what happens when uh, we study the book of Hebrews, is we find 
that the, the author was a mystery. We don't know who it was. There remain some candidates, however. Um, in the early church, or in the centuries following when it would have been written, the, the first natural candidate was Apostle Paul, right? He wrote a lot of the rest of the New Testament. It was probably Paul. But there's reasons both within um, the style of Hebrews to tell us it probably wasn't Paul. The themes that are taken up that he doesn't um, cover as, in as much depth in his other letters. And also he says at one point in Hebrews um, that we learned this from those who actually learned it from the Lord. Something to that effect. Something Paul never would have said because he stresses again and again his firsthand knowledge from Jesus. So and in all likelihood it was not Paul. But that has been an answer through the ages. Another one that I find kind of intriguing is Barnabas. So Barnabas was a Levite. He had that Jewish background, but he was also a Hellenist, which means he was a Greek-speaking Jew. Of course, his books are written in, in Greek. Um, and he was known as the son of encouragement. So um, Hebrews is all about encouragement and exhortation. And so perhaps it was written by Barnabas. Could be. Can't say. Third suggestion. This actually came from Martin Luther is Apollos. Now, he has kind of a bit part in the New Testament, but this argument especially hinges on Acts 18.24, which says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. Okay? So that seems to fit the bill for Hebrews. you got to know your scriptures, that is your Old Testament, and you have to have some eloquence. The Greek of Hebrews is the finest in the New Testament. So scholars of classical Greek will point to the book of Hebrews and they say this is the, the finest writing. St. John writes at more of like a third or fifth grade level Greek. Hebrews would be like your 12th grade level Greek. Okay? It's really high in terms of its, its eloquence. And so some have said perhaps it's Apollos. I kind of like that one, but again, we can't say for sure. But then you have this last suggestion from Clement of Rome who was kind of a second generation leader in the church. He thinks that Paul wrote it in Hebrew and then Luke whose Greek is probably the second best after Hebrews, he translated it into Greek. Again, interesting suggestion. We can't say for sure. But perhaps as we study the book of Hebrews, you will have your own idea or one of these suggestions will say that's the one. But Origen writing only in the third century already says at that point, who wrote this epistle? In truth, only God knows. All right? So that'll be in the welcome packet when you get to heaven. Uh, <laughs> those questions that you had, including, who wrote Hebrews? Oh, let us tell you. It was Frank of Ephesus. Um, we don't. All right. <clears throat> Number four, Hebrews covers some of the New Testament's greatest hits. Some of these passages that you know that maybe your grandma put in needlepoint and had on your walls, right? Or that you got from Hobby Lobby. You have this beautiful opening chapter. In chapter 4, it talks about how the word of God is a double-edged sword. Chapter 11, the great hall of faith, as it's often called. And chapter 12, our eyes fixed on Jesus, just to give a few. So we'll get to cover some of those really cool greatest hits from, from the New Testament, from Hebrews. Fifthly, and this is what gets me especially excited about studying Hebrews. Hebrews' purpose of encouraging world-weary believers who are tempted to turn back feels remarkably relevant and applicable. So this is written to believers, probably a group of Christians, a house group of uh, Greek-speaking Jewish believers in Rome. Um, there's textual evidence that um, it, it was written to Rome. And they are this countercultural minority surrounded by an adverse society that's pushing back against them. And frankly, they're just getting tired. They're tired of the struggle. 
They're tired of the fight. They're tired of having to, to defend their faith in Jesus all the time. Even the Jewish sect was able to, was um, exempted from persecution, but now these Jewish Christian believers are dealing with persecution as well, and they're just getting wearied. John Kleinig says in his commentary, the audience of Hebrews is a small countercultural community that stands apart from the dominant culture of its day. Their new allegiance, summed up in their confession of faith in Jesus as God's son, inevitably brings them into conflict with their social environment. By eroding their status and reputation, this social pressure threatens to weaken their commitment to their confession of faith. Does that sound timely in any way? Absolutely. And Tom Long again says, the threat here is that worn down and worn out, they, that is the recipients of the letter, will drop their end of the rope and drift away. Tired of walking the walk, many of them are considering taking a walk, leaving the community and falling away from the faith. In this way, I think Hebrews is exceedingly relevant to us in our day when we can experience so much pushback uh, for our faith to think, what does it mean for us to be faithful to our Lord? So then finally, the theme of Hebrews resounds through all time and history. We have hope in Christ alone, in Christ alone. As Peter said in John 6, Jesus said to the disciples, are you guys going to leave too? Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the message of the book of Hebrews, the message that we're going to delve deep into. We're going to explore all sorts of interesting biblical mysteries and connections to the Old Testament. We're going to find out what Melchizedek has to do with, with Jesus and so much in between. So I'm excited for this study. I hope that you guys will join us beginning next week as we dive deep into the book of Hebrews. We'll see you then. All right?